think I'm a fool? I didn't think so. I don't think I've ever seen anything quite like this before. I think you just said something. Think, 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 think. It's that time again. We're back. And by we, I just mean me and the crazy voices in my head. Hello, it's Michael again, and I've come to you to tell you that it isn't how you start, but always how you finish. And hopefully that is going to be true today because my head is going to split open by the end of this day. And I don't know why and I don't know what's going on, but we are going to go with it. And hopefully we will all survive this together. Excuse me. clear the throat and you know if you've listened to anything before we will do this 27 more times before the end of the day get some water but we are back to go through our worldview trying to figure out how do we construct a christian worldview based on the doctrines and documents of christianity you know the bible and If you haven't listened to anything else that has ever been done on this podcast, you know that when we say the Bible, we mean the whole thing. Not part of it, not like three letters out of the New Testament, not only the red stuff that Jesus said, but all of it. So, we are marching through. Today, we are going to look at another big chunk. So, we looked at a big chunk last week. We're going to look at another big chunk this week. Ah, 10, 11 chapters. got to figure out my math here. Yeah, 11 chapters total. We have left off with Abraham is dead. That's bad news if you're Abraham, I guess. It's also good news, though, if you are the people of God, because God is not dependent upon Abraham to accomplish his work. God accomplishes his work, and I know we have seen this in roundabout ways, but this week, as we go through the offspring of Abraham and see their lives, we are going to see this in even a greater detail, especially in his grandson, and that should be a hint as to how far we're going. So, if you have no working knowledge in your brain of the lives of Isaac and Jacob, stop listening to me, go read your Bible from about Genesis 26 to about Genesis 36, it will do you good. Then, come back and listen to the brilliance out of which... My brain vomits this information upon thee. So, Genesis 26, you've got Isaac. There's a famine in the land. Besides the previous famine for all of you, the Bible is just repeating a bunch of stories, and we don't ever, you know, make sense of it as we go. No, no, no. New famine! New famine! That had occurred in the days of Abraham. So Isaac went to Gerar to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. Dun, dun, dun! The Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Stay in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. I'm sorry, bless you, for to you and to your descendants I will give these lands, and I will establish the oath which I swore to your father Abraham. Now, God isn't leaving anything to chance here, is he? Excuse me. He's not giving Isaac the chance to go run off to Egypt like Abraham did, where nothing good ever happened. Instead, he's saying, hey, don't go to Egypt. Stay in the land, which is also a little notice on how God knows what's in the heart. Why do you think he went down to the Philistines, by the way, sea-dwelling people? So he has left the uh, eastern portion of Israel. He's no longer around Bethel, but he is now moving west. And the reason you would do that is because the good highway to Egypt is along the coast. So he's headed west. He's, He's on his way. He's moving on down, moving on down to the south side, to the south side. All right, we'll stop there before I get caught for copyright infringement or something. <clears throat> so 
The promise is re-given. I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven and will give your descendants all these lands and by your descendants all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. And again, we're not going to be happy with the NASB here. It doesn't do a great job. That word descendants is really seed. Remember, we are hearkening back to the hoped and longed for seed of the woman who will crush the serpent and his seed, the one who will be born, who will put to death sin and the devil. Of course, we know that to be Christ, but in the meantime, you're reading this, you're still waiting. Because Abraham, this will be done because Abraham obeyed me and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. And you're probably reading that going, but I thought Abraham wasn't always great at this. I thought he went down to Egypt. I thought he had a child with Hagar instead of with Sarai, and I thought he was impatient. And, and all of those things are absolutely true. But he also believed in God, and it was believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. He also trusted in the promises by going down into the land. There's reasons why Jesus talks about that mustard seed faith in the New Testament. God accomplishes. We are along for the ride, and our call as we are riding along is to act faithfully. So Isaac lived in Gerar, and when the men of the place asked about his wife, he said, She is my sister, for he was afraid to say she to, to say my wife, thinking the men of the place might kill me on account of Rebecca, for she is beautiful. I'm telling you, these must be some hot women if dudes are worried about getting slaughtered and wiped out in opposition to God's planning over the hotness of their wives. But that notwithstanding, I wonder where Isaac learned this little gem from. You ever think he heard this story told? See, always make sure when you tell the stories of your lives of your life to your children that when you're telling them the bad stuff you highlight how bad and dumb it is don't make it sound like well and everything worked out okay so it was all right because they're liable to believe you and say hey you know it kind of worked out for dad maybe it'll work out for me too welcome to exactly what isaac is doing <clears throat> he's probably heard this story a hundred times and probably heard it from mom's point of view and thought well you know when push comes to shove it worked out okay then it'll work out okay now and of course, because God is at work, it does work out okay, but that doesn't mean what Isaac is doing is right. And you see this. So, it came about when he had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out through a window and saw, and behold, Isaac was caressing his wife, Rebekah. We're just going to leave that alone right there. And Abimelech called Isaac and said, you, certainly she's your wife. How did you say she's my sister? And Isaac said, well, I'm thought I might die on her account. So Abimelech said, what is this you have done to us? Well, the people might have easily lain with your wife and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech charged the people saying, he who touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. Now, second point here. In most Bible stories, you would be expecting that the Philistines are the wicked, evil pagans and the Israelite, well, the soon-to-be Israelite, is the righteous one, right? Notice... Isaac is afraid of what the Philistines might do, so he engages in deception. He lies, his rear end off. Abimelech is righteous. Why didn't you say she was your wife? We'd have protected you, and you're over here worried about us killing you. My goodness, man. What kind of people do you think we are? <laughs> Goes to show you, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not in your own understanding. If Isaac... God had God told him to stay there because he was safe there. He was secure. He didn't know that, but God knew that. So Isaac does, and <clears throat> excuse me, and he prospers, and he ends up traveling along. And the Philistines love him, and you know, just keep finding out about the wells and all the good prosperity he has. So basically, they're following around the desert, and finally, 
Isaac gets some peace and quiet and settles in a place, and then you get a little look at his son. When Esau was 40 years old, he married Judith, the daughter of Beeri, the Hittite, and Basemath, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite, and they brought grief to Isaac and Rebekah. Remember, Rebekah was fetched from, from the uh, homestead from Abraham there, not to allow... Isaac to marry of the women of the land because they are under judgment. You don't intermarry with the people under judgment. That typically doesn't end well. Now, it came about when Isaac was old and his eyes were too dim to see. Uh, excuse me. He called his older son Esau and said to him, My son. And he said to him, Here I am. And Isaac said, Behold! Now I am old, and I do not know the day of my death. Now then, please, take your gear, your quiver, your bow. Go out to the field, hunt game for me, prepare a savory dish for me as I love, and bring it to me that I may eat, so that my soul may bless you before I die. Just a couple of notes here. I should have done the math because I just remembered this part, and I didn't do the math before I came in here, so you will have to go do this math. Have fun looking up how long Isaac lives after this, and... and, um, correlate all those numbers and put them together because it's hysterical. Isaac's about to die. I think he I mean he lives like decades after this. So don't don't trust yourself. Trust in God to accomplish. Now you know the story. Rebecca likes Jacob more because he's uh you know he's more of a house dude than Esau who's out rummaging around in the wilderness all the time. So she gets the the ruse going and Jacob goes along with it and they steal Esau's birthright. Note to self, remember what was promised when they were born? The older shall serve the younger. You can't steal what already belongs to you. That's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. You can't steal it if it's already yours. So it goes along. Now Esau's a little upset, understandably. Of course, I don't know why he would be upset. I mean... He's already sold the birthright. I mean, he sells that at the end of chapter 25. So he sold what wasn't his to sell, and now Jacob has stolen what wasn't his to buy, wasn't his to steal, but was already his by the grace of God. And so all you really do by accomplishing this and trying to get in God's way is make enemies. So... Esau bore a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near. Then I will kill my brother. And again, if Jacob had just hung around, there's no mourning. We're mourning for a guy who's not dead yet, who's not going to be dead for quite a while. So Rebekah said to Isaac, I am tired of living because of the daughters of Heth. If Jacob takes a wife from their daughters of Heth like these, from the daughters of the land, what good will my life be? little drama here going on. So Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him and said, you shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. Arise, go to Padan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take there, and from there, take yourself a wife from the daughters of Laban. Dun, dun, dun. Getting Jacob away. Now, again, is Jacob doing anything right? No. He's tricking his brother. He's lying to his father. His mother's engaging in deception. And yet, what is God doing? God is using all of this to get him a wife from the people who aren't under the curse. God is using this to humble him and to bring him lowly. So Jacob goes on his way, and Jacob departed from Beersheba, went toward Haran, and he came to a certain place and spent the night there because the sun had set. That's usually a good time to sleep for the night. And he took one of the stones to place it um, and put it under his head and lay down at that place. I don't know if he uses it as a pillow so much as it's just kind of a marker place to... uh, 
<coughs> to mark where his head is. And he had a dream, and behold, a ladder was set on the earth, and its top reaching to heaven. Is this where Led Zeppelin got the idea from? And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the land in which you lie, I will give it to you and to your descendants. Same promise was given to Abraham, same promise was given to Isaac, it is now being given to Jacob. God is at work in this family. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south, and in you and in your descendants shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Remember, we're hearkening back. We're still waiting for that seed. The only thing we know for certain was it was going to come from the line of Noah because that was the only one that was left, and as those families spread out, we knew it was coming from Abraham. Then we knew it was coming from Isaac. Now we know it's coming from Jacob. So Jacob awoke, said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I didn't know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. <sighs> We're getting there, aren't we? Jacob has no idea about where God is God and how much of the place is God. So Jacob makes an altar, goes through all of that, arrives, meets Rachel, Laban is a one-upster for Jacob. Remember, Jacob's name literally means trickster or deceiver. He is trying to connive and finagle his way into the promises that God has already made. Just say that out loud sometime and think through it. So <clears throat> he is tricked out of Rachel and given – my name just – I'm looking at it, and I don't see it, and I am completely blanked out. <coughs> excuse me, Leah. So he's tricked out of Rachel, given Leah, so he has to work another seven years. He works seven years for Rachel, gets Leah. Then a week later, he gets Rachel, but he owes Laban another seven years. That's your nutshell. Don't, don't, don't misread that and think he had to work another seven years before he got Rachel. No, we're not, we're not quite dealing in that timeline yet. Because otherwise, if you miss that up, you, know, you won't understand how all these kids can be born when they're gone. So Rachel doesn't bear any children, so Leah bears all the kids. And just read Genesis 30. It will do you some good, and you will see the work of God. Because in order to have a nation, at some point, these people have to have more than one kid and be able to spread out and sprawl out to become a nation. And you start to see the fruit of that in Jacob. Now again, is Jacob acting honorably to be here? No. Is Laban acting honorably in getting his daughters married off? No. Is God accomplishing his plans and purposes anyway? The answer is yes. Now, is Jacob still acting acting honorably? No. But who's prospering him? God is. That's, that's the fun of Genesis 30 when you try to figure this out, where Jacob's putting poplar and almond and plane trees and trying to get his flocks to grow. That's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. It may be how Jacob thinks it works. But it's not how it works. So does Jacob do that? Yes. Is that why his flocks grow? No. Who opens the womb? God. Who's in charge of the livestock? God. Who's in charge of what color they are when they're born? God, through the genetic plan he has laid out. So again, God is accomplishing his promises. He is prospering Jacob both familially by number of family members and economically by giving him the means by which he will provide for this family and be able to provide for this growing nation that will come. So what do you get? You get Genesis 31. Jacob's realizing that his, he's on borrowed time with Laban and family because God is blessing him and God is not, God not blessing Laban. You say blessing Laban three times fast, I dare you. So he makes a break for it. Laban runs him down. 
It's a nightmare. Rachel steals the household gods. Laban's annoyed. He wants justice, and there's no justice for Laban. Laban has no claim on the children. He has no claim on the, on the daughters. This is, goes back to Genesis 2. You leave your father and your mother, and you cleave to your spouse, and the two become one flesh. So the daughters are married. They're not your kids anymore. They're somebody's wife. Are they still your daughters? Yes. But are you responsible to them? Or for them? No. Are they responsible to you? No. They are responsible to their now family. So they split and we get chapter 32, which is so good. We're going to slow down a little here. I actually made mention of this on a Sunday sermon. Was it last week? Week before last? I don't remember. So listen to all the sermons. They'll do you good. So Jacob went on his way. The angel of God, the angels of God met him. And Jacob said to said when he saw them, this is God's camp. So he named that place Mahanaim. Jacob sent messengers before him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir in the country of Edom. He also commanded them, saying, Thus you shall say to my lord Esau, Thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen and donkeys and flocks and male and female servants, and I have sent to tell my lord that I may find favor in your sight. Messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to your brother Esau, and furthermore, he's coming to meet you. Yay! With 400 men who are with him. See, that's cause for alarm. You don't just go traveling around with 400 dudes in the middle of the wilderness. That, that's just not a thing. No camping trip is that big. So if you're traveling around with 400 guys in this world, you're traveling around, traveling around with a small army. Go team. 400 men would be more people than Abraham brought into battle to free Lot. So this is a pile. And if you're Jacob, you got to start wondering if your comeuppance is finally there. If who you are and what you have done literally your entire life is coming to get you. And the answer is it might have been if not for who has actually accomplished all this. Remember again, Jacob's brain is broken here because he's trusting in himself and his own wisdom. So he buys the birthright. That was already his. And then later on, he and his mother try to steal the birthright. That was already his. And then he tries to earn the family that was already promised by God. And then he tries to finagle and swindle his father-in-law out of flocks and herds that are already going to be given to him by God. And now he is returning to the land that has been promised to him, that he has covenanted with God to follow if God would bring him back. And yet he's terrified because Esau might show up and wipe him out. See, this is somebody who doesn't get it, but this is somebody who God has plucked out. This is somebody who God has redeemed. Therefore, God will fulfill his purposes, whether Jacob likes it or not. Verse 24, Jacob was left alone because he split up his family just in case, and he sends one side off, and he's waiting behind. And a man wrestled with him until daybreak. Now, this is where the Hebrew gets fun because there's lots of hymns and he's. So when he saw, the man saw that he had not prevailed against Jacob, the man touched the socket of Jacob's thigh, so the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated while he wrestled with him. Now, this is so fun because if you've ever done any wrestling, yeah, this was last Sunday, one week, week from Sunday, yeah, week from Sunday. If you've ever done any wrestling, that I mentioned this, so uh, beginning of Exodus uh, 17, if you've ever done any wrestling or football or anything like that or anything that required any movement at all, you kind of need a hip. You don't move well with a hip or without a hip. So imagine you've got a guy wrestling you. He's lying on you pushing on you, you're trying to gain leverage, you're trying to, you know, move him around, and all of a sudden you only have one leg. What happens? Exactly. You're done for. So, 
The man said, let me go for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So I think Jacob's realizing now that anybody who can just touch my hip and knock it out, I'm in trouble. And that's why, again, read Hosea, because Hosea talks about the weapons of Jacob in this fight, and it's his tears and supplication, his brokenness, literally, physically, and spiritually. So he said, the man said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob, again, means trickster, trickster. You shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Literally, Israel um, struggles or wars with God. Wars would be a little... Probably a little bit overkill, but struggles or wrestles with God literally is what the name means. Now, again, how has Jacob prevailed? Christian, how have you prevailed over your sin? Have you prevailed against your sin because of your strength, because of your wisdom, because of your perseverance, because of your sheer fortitude and power of will? Now, would all of those things do you well in the Christian walk? Yes. Yes, they will. You should be wise. You should be studying the scriptures, learning the ways of God, applying them to your life, walking in wisdom, following after what the Bible tells you you should do. That would be a good idea. You should be strong-willed in Christ, rebuking evil, turning from it, being resolute in your pathways after God. But that is not why you have overcome. You have overcome because of the work of Christ upon the cross of Calvary, offering the eternal sacrifice for your sin rising and overcoming the penalties of your sin, ascending to the right hand of the Father, bringing your case before the throne, the Father and the Son sending you the Spirit to indwell you, empower that wisdom, undergird that fortitude, and strengthen that resolve and will. All of that is the accomplishment not of you, but of God. As it was for Jacob, there is nothing new under the sun. And this is what you're seeing. So the name is given. His overcoming is not because of his work and his might, but because of God's work and God's might. So Jacob asked him, said, please tell me your name. And he said, why is it that you ask my name? And, he ble- and the man blessed him there. So Jacob named the place Peniel, for he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been preserved. See, this changes a man. Understanding God. This is what Paul's talking about in Romans 2 when he talks about it's the kindness of God that leads you to repentance. Is the reason you surrender to God is because you recognize the the dearth of your goodness and the wealth of your sin in condemning you, and you see the just judge of all the earth not doing what you now understand to be right in condemning you, but offering you grace and mercy and forgiveness and cleansing. See, when that happens, now suddenly you're going, wow, how awesome and amazing, and loving, and kind you are. Please, I want to follow after that God. You're seeing this here for Jacob as well. And you see the fruit of that. When he goes out to meet Esau, he's not hiding. He sends the gifts, he sends the family, and he does what? He goes out and meets him face to face, proclaiming everything. Not running, not hiding. And he settles. He's now in the land, he's good. And always remember though, Discipleship is necessary. This is why I tell you, tell your children not what to do, but why they should do it. Tell them the nuts and bolts and the meat of your faith, because if you don't give it to them, they will look at your life, and they will not understand why you prevail. 
because as Christians, we have a good tendency to let people just look at my life and let that be the judge. Because what we think we're saying is, you will see the grace of God as I fail, yes, but you will also see the failure and not always understand unless it is explained that it is God that made the lemonade when you brought the lemons, not the other way around. And you see this in 34 because the kids just go off and have a blast. You also see the lack of discipleship from Jacob in this family because his daughter's raped, and he doesn't want to do anything about it, and his brothers won't abide this, so they do something about it, and Jacob rebukes the children. He rebukes his sons for standing up for his sister, for taking out retribution. Now, did they do what was right? No. They used the covenant of God, lied to the people of Shechem, lied to them, slaughtered them. That was not right, but they did something. In their brokenness, they're attempting. In Jacob's brokenness, he is not discipling. In Jacob's brokenness, he is not standing up for what is right. Is he redeemed? Yes. Is he always perfect? No. Will he get to the end? Yes. Why? God. That's the theme of this life here, is God working in spite of these people. You see this in 35 now, so Jacob is confirmed again as as, uh, Yisrael. God said to Jacob, arise, go to Bethel and live there. Make an altar there to God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and all were with him, put away the foreign gods which are among you. See, there's a brokenness right there. How little command do you have over your family that despite everything that's happened to you and for you? Remember, Jacob's still limping around that they're still worshiping the foreign gods. Purify yourselves, change your garments, let us arise and go to Bethel and make an altar there to God who answered me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. That should be the testimony of Jacob every day. So when they get there, God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Padan Aram and he blessed him and said, Your name is Jacob, but you shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. Thus he called him Israel and said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful, multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you. Kings shall come forth from you. The land which I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I will give it to you, and I will give the land to your descendants after you. So the covenant is reaffirmed, and that's why you get to the end of this chapter, and what do you get? You get the listing of the sons, because now what are you seeing? We're a step closer to this nation, aren't we? Abraham didn't have a nation. He had Ishmael, the son of the flesh, not the son of the promise. Sure, kings and tribes and peoples will come from him because it's a promise from God, but he's not the one, but Isaac is. But Isaac's just one son. That's not a nation. And Isaac has twins, and one of them is just as bad as Ishmael. And one of them isn't any better than Ishmael, but he's the chosen of God. But once again, now you just have Jacob. We don't have the beginnings of a nation. Now, when you have all of this, and you have Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Joseph, Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, Asher, eventually Benjamin shows up. Um, when you get all of this, you now have – oh, I said Benjamin. I'm sorry. It was on there. Well, you now have the beginnings of a nation. You now have these sons, these 12 sons who can become something other than just your little family. So what do you get? You get the completion of what God is doing in this ark here. You see Esau moving around. You see his families. You see the tribes that come from him, the spreading out. These are people that will become important later on when you get to the kingdom years and the time of the judges because some of these people are from Esau. They are from 
his line, and Israel is going to have to deal with them because they're going to have to deal with the one who has rejected God, the one who has walked away and chosen his own path, the same way Cain did, the same way Balaam will later on. It's the same problem, the same way humanity does throughout the ages. But again, notice this. What Abraham couldn't do in his age and in his sin, what Isaac could not do in his weakness and in his sin, what Jacob could not do in his pride and in his sin, God is doing. He is upholding this family because of his promised work. He is strengthening and girding up this family because of his promised work, and he is accomplishing the promises he has made through this family because of his promised work. And again, Christian, Nothing has changed. We don't persevere to the end because we're smarter. We don't understand the folly of sin in this world because we have some secret knowledge unavailable to the rest of the world. They can read the Bible too. They just don't understand it. We don't live differently because we're a better people, but because we recognize that we're not a better people. And we have leaned into God, trusted in his provision, trusted in his mercy and grace, and walked faithfully. If you want to understand what's broken in this world, it's the pride of this world. The people who are going to accomplish all these great and grand things in their power, in their might, with their wisdom. Christian, as you encounter the world, recognize that you are encountering it from a perspective of realizing that we don't accomplish these things. God does. We're not doing the good works. God is. And if we want to see the brokenness, see where they start, if you want to make sure you're formulating your worldview correctly, recognize that it is God who has brought you to the place that you are and God who will see you through to the end. So, what have we learned here today, children? Nobody's perfect. Literally, nobody. God is always at work. And God brings his good work to a good end. Always, now, and forevermore. So, questions, comments, complaints? Send them to info at practicaltheologyministries.com. Go to the website, practicaltheologyministries.com. Check out resources. You can find the link to the uh, book on the Sermon on the Mount that we wrote. I say we because I wrote it. Lou and Cameron helped edit it, although we didn't catch all the typos. I'm sorry. My bad. Um, you can find that. You can get links to the church and sermons. You can see those, those uh, wherever you're podcasting from. Again, drop us a line. We appreciate all of you guys. We hope this is helpful in your Christian walk. That's why we're doing all of this trying to make the world not a safer place, not even a better place, but a more Christian place by strengthening God's people until he ushers in the kingdom. So until we meet again, read your Bible. It'll do you good. Bye.